Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Kyan Isaacson. I'm back after a two-week hiatus, and I want to say thank you to Ashley Locken for stepping in on my behalf, and great job. She's now back in the producer's chair, so she's looking at me. Nice job, Ashley. This week, we had 321 Go with Cosmo Macero, then an interview with Jimmy Tingle about fundraising efforts for the Pilgrim Monument, and of course, Two Minutes with Tom. And then I'm back extra because 321 Go is with me this week. First up, 321 Go. Let's talk about something important. Hello and welcome to 321 Go on OA on Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, culture, business, and the economy. It's Cayenne again, and I'm your host, filling in this week for Cosmo. In this installment of 321 Go, our in-house digital and social media experts, Ashley Locken and Shakir Gregory, join me to talk about closing the growing digital age gap in businesses. And then, Hugh Drummond joins me to talk about Hurricane Dorian and other weather-related news. Finally, it's inbound 2019 week here in Boston, and Shakira and Ashley join me again to talk about the conference and what it all means. Okay, so Shakir and Ashley, uh, you guys are our in-house digital social media expert gurus, all of the adjectives. There was a story in The Atlantic uh, titled, It's Time to Close the Digital Talent Gap. And it essentially said that we have a talent gap and we need to close it. The headline was pretty self-explanatory, but I was really surprised that employers are saying um, – their organization lacks the employees who possess soft digital skills. Uh, this was a survey done by LinkedIn of more than 1,200 professionals around the world. And this isn't just talking about really social and digital. It's talking about cloud computing and cybersecurity and all of these things. But um, you guys are among the people that we're thinking and turning to for these solutions. So what are your thoughts? Um, I'd say that kind of made sense to me. I think that... Uh, I've worked a lot in the past with companies that either don't know where to start in terms of hiring even a social media manager or someone to run their digital operation, or you know they don't necessarily have the capacity. They don't know what to look for. So I feel like I've been to a lot of um, I've been to a lot of like sessions and networking events where you know even simple things like are you using the correct language to recruit digital folks? Are you looking for the correct skills as you try to expand your comms team to potentially someone in digital marketing are some pretty serious barriers for companies. I mean, comms is changing more rapidly than I feel like a lot of companies can adjust to that. Uh, so we're kind of caught in this space where everybody knows what they want, but not where to find it, how to articulate it, and um, who to look for. And the social and digital media component is, re- is just part of this. So mm-hmm. when you dig deeper and you talk about cloud computing mm. and I, I think everyone understands cybersecurity because we all understand the idea of being hacked but yeah. there are I would I would assume um, a lot of employers or businesses that don't even know where to start with that so yeah. like they don't even know to be thinking about that yeah I completely agree and I, I think the further you go um, past kind of the marketing and the comms stuff you know once you get into like you know things like um, like SaaS like cloud computing, like IT and other types of things. I mean, I'm sure none of the things that I just said make will make sense to most of our audience. It gets more and more complex the further you go down that rabbit hole. So there's kind of a gap with 
um, I'd say it starts with the, the top and making sure that the company is properly educated. It really starts with you know um, HR departments. It starts with managers. It starts with the heads of companies um, knowing what those things mean and you know taking some time to get educated about what um, what they need in a digital sense. And we know this because we were taught this stuff in school. Yeah. Like I've I've taken like five digital classes because they're requirements. Yeah. But think about like the older people in companies. Like and what was your major? Journalism. Okay. Which makes sense. Yeah, but, I didn't you know. take any of those classes, and I was a journalism major. Yeah, so <laughs> see, times are changing. Um, I think you should look to hire younger people because we do come in and we, we, yeah. help, we help you guys with all that. You energize, too. We do. And I think fresh energy. Yeah. I would want to, yeah, I want to bold and underline that. I do think that the presence of younger people also can be an educational force for the company as well. Like, if you have folks who, like us, again, had to take um, – classes to help us understand all of this Mm -hmm. um, as we were going through, you know, to an extent, like middle school, high school, and college. Yeah. We can also be an educational force within the company. This is not me saying like, oh, we're better than you. I'm just saying these are things that we're we're learning in school. But it's also ingrained in in how you were brought up. So like the cloud is not a foreign concept to you. iPhones and saving your pictures and all of your data in the cloud is such a is such a part of your day-to-day vernacular mm-hmm. that for so many others and other generations is not. I yeah. mean, like, I, there are older people in my family that are trying to explain, like, oh, well, have you updated to the cloud? They're like, what's the cloud? Where do they yeah. live? The cloud. And, yeah. um, and while there are plenty of people in other generations who are educated on these things, um, it's, I think, important that it's not just young people because mm-hmm. the other thing, too, is – there are employees, according to this, 29% are anxious that their skills are redundant or will become so and they'll be kind of pushed out. Mm-hmm. Um, you can learn these skills. Yes. Yeah. Uh, pre- not, I don't want to say easily, but these are very – these are tangible skills that mm-hmm. you can you can go and learn. Yeah. I think uh, completely pursuant to that um, – the easiest thing I feel like some companies can do is sponsor or support training in house. Mm-hmm. If you, uh, there's a study here that says 60% for any employee who's interested. For yeah, any employee. Yeah. So it says here, 60% of digital talent they invest their own time and money to get the skills they need beyond the workplace. You become a educational tool and a major recruitment tool if you provide that to your to everyone in your company. And then having that not only you know ups the ability of your company to kind of participate in this digital landscape. Now other people are looking at your firm as a place to go because you understand what you need and you kind of speak the same language. And you don't even have to spend that much money. There's free tools everywhere. Uh, Yeah, and that's the secret. Most of these tools are free. So like just finding them and providing them and just providing the time. Yeah, it's 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 pretty simple to to really get started. But I, I do empathize. You know, it's very hard to find out where to get started. But once you do, it's like there's a lot of uh, great resources mm-hmm. out there. All right. Well, thanks for for joining our company first of all, <laughs> and bringing your resources and skills and teaching us all because we do all learn from you every day. Um, and thanks for joining me today as and I we fill learn in for from three, you two, one, go. Two. Hello, Hugh Drummond. Hi, Cayenne. I am joined here by Hugh Drummond, our in-house weather expert here at O'Neill & Associates. How are you? I'm good. I'm not an expert. I just like the weather. 
Well, last time I said anything related to calling you a geek, you got mad, so I can't go with that. <laughs> yeah, but you okay. are our expert in-house. We go to you for all things weather-related questions. That's true. So. That's true. Thunder happens and my phone rings. Yes. So. <laughs> How long is it going to happen? When's it going to strike? Um, so this week we wanted to take a couple minutes, uh, obviously talk about Hurricane Dorian, who, uh, which has been pretty devastating to the Bahamas. Um, I think uh, Florida was averted. I spoke to my dad. He was very happy to, who's in the Keys, to have, have missed that. Um, but you were bringing up some really interesting things on the larger scale of what this hurricane means in the bigger right. picture. Um, so first let's talk about it, sort of the path it took and what what it, the real destruction it left behind. Sure. Well, I mean, Dorian is the strongest storm on record to occur east of Florida, in the Atlantic, and that far, far north. Ever. So, ever. Yeah. Um, well, ever for, for right now, right? right now. Because um, it's the first time with four consecutive years that we've had a Category 5 hurricane in the Atlantic. So that, that's another thing that, five that's kind of right? changed. Category, category 5 is the strongest. Um, but the first time were four straight years there's been a Cat 5 in the Atlantic. And um, so clearly there is a trend um, of having more powerful storms. In the Bahamas, I mean, the, the numbers are, are just devastating. The, um, you know, Massachusetts, we've had a couple of, we've had tornadoes in recent years. Or we, this w- summer, down We the had Cape. down the Cape, right. And uh, those tornadoes were EF1s, EF0s to EF1s, I think. The, um, the How wind- How high does the tornado scale go? It goes to EF5. Okay. And the EF5 is greater than 200 mile an hour wind uh, speed, which is, you know, catastrophic. Um, EF4 ranges 166 to 200. So by comparison, Dorian had sustained winds of 185 miles an hour, which would put it in that uh, EF4 tornado range, except a tornado comes and it's gone within minutes. Mm -hmm. And um, Dorian, it took 20, it, it moved 30 miles in 28 hours. So it basically stayed over, the Bahamas, over the Bahamas with, with, with sustained winds of 185, wind gusts as high as 220 miles an hour. So just imagine. incredibly devastating. It makes, it, al- it really does make you grateful that like we deal with blizzards and yeah. snow here, which while can be very difficult, um, are easier to predict yeah. and not always as catastrophic so to speak, but I mean, I think of when we've had high winds and a blizzard and how scary that has been, and it's like a tenth of yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I mean, hurricanes, you, you do have warning. Um, you, you, you know um, a, per, a kind of a track, a cone mm-hmm. of uncertainty, but a track. The, the challenge with a hurricane, though, is um, that um, it, to get out of the path, you have to move a, a great distance, and, and, and most people can't do that. And so, uh, especially in, in areas like the Bahamas, where, where you just don't have a lot of options. And so, in the immediate aftermath, I mean, the, the we've seen the footage where the large parts of the island are underwater. So, water, fresh drinking water, is is one of the first things that rescue um, uh, relief workers will will try to introduced to to the population that that survived so 
hurricane season is not over yet. No. Right? We still have at least a month, two months. It goes through November, I believe. Um, so there's an excellent chance that any of these areas could see another storm. Yeah, well, I mean, hurricane season begins, I think it begins, um, was it, it's June through November, uh, thereabouts, but um, the peak is September. Uh, this is when you see the most activity, things have heated up enough and, and so forth. So traditionally, this is when, when you see storms like this. Um, it, you know, it's, when we see, like I said before, it's the, it's the fourth uh, consecutive year, it's a reminder that you know, climate change is happening. The, these are we're, we are seeing more intense storms. We're, we're seeing um, tornadoes in New England. Um, not that we haven't had them before, but it's you do see more. It, it seems more um, activity. More activity. More more potential for these violent uh, storm cells. And um, you know, in in the Boston area, we're also uh, concerned long-term about neighborhoods flooding as sea levels rise and, and things like that. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to, um, developers and and uh, planners have to look at uh, the potential impact of climate change on, on structures and, and kind of city life. Um, at the same time, it's just common sense to, to be planning. If you're a university, if you're a business, if you're, uh, uh, you know, any organization, having disaster plans in place for the kinds of situations that are most likely to affect you. So, you know, in Boston, we, we do. We have the harsh winters. We mm -hmm. have nor'easters. Uh, we have had these summer uh, storms with possible tornadoes. Um, these are uh, standard weather events, but but need special thought and consideration when you think of uh, your disaster plans. And there's disaster and emergency planning, but seeing as how we do what we do, we mm -hmm. should add that that should include a communications plan. Absolutely, uh, you have to communicate both internal and external. Yeah, how you're going to get in touch with students, whether they're on campus or off campus. If you're an institution, uh, businesses, how you get in touch with your employees, yeah. clients, customers, um, the how you communicate to the public is so important and how you move forward and afterwards. Well, thank you for coming in as our resident in-house only weather expert. Um, and uh, like, hopefully we don't have to talk about this again this season. Call me anytime. I have to go back to the radar. <laughs> <laughs>
was started by HubSpot, a local uh, content marketing company. The reason it's called Inbound is for inbound marketing. So it's a day, I'd say, of, yeah, it's, it's a pretty good idea. Um, it's a day of inspiration. I'd say it's a day of learning. So during the daytime, they have classes with influential marketers, tech startups, founders, people that you can really learn and be inspired from. And throughout the day, they also have um, influential figures from anywhere from entertainment to business. It's actually a fantastic event, regardless of your background. I think that it's really a really cool way to kind of see what's really driving a lot of conversation um, right now um, in a lot of different fronts. So I know I have tickets, so I'm definitely going to be attending some of these uh, classes and performances. So, What has jumped out to you as the most useful? I know that we talked about this earlier mm -hmm. um, this week was really just like the networking opportunities, getting out and talking to other people who are either like-minded or just mm -hmm. within an industry or may, you know, may have needs, whatever it is. Um, that's a really great thing with these conferences in general. Mm -hmm. is, and there's multiple days and multiple things that you can choose from based yep. on your interests or availability. I think that the most valuable thing, and from my perspective, it's I'm, I'm director of digital strategy here, so um, it's anywhere from content marketing to advertising. Surprisingly enough, I think that all of the sessions with founders of tech companies I find fascinating. Um, and I think that uh, anyone who has had to take a really kind of complex goal or abstract idea and just kind of break it down how to get it from point you know, A all the way to point Z, I think a founder's perspective is fascinating because it all starts as like a very abstract idea and seeing how they literally went step to step and obviously they would invite them if they weren't successful and how it ended up the way it is, I think probably has the best crossover appeal of anything offered. And then special shout out to things like, you know, I have Chelsea Handler's there this year, other people who are incredibly influential online. Chelsea's pretty cool. Yeah. I also just geeked out over Chip and Joe and the games for anyone who was wondering. There's a lot of fantastic <laughs> don't, don't know who that is. <laughs> refer That's to, all I have to add. <laughs> refer to the age gap section of the... Hey! <laughs> Sorry. Hey! Sorry. Kyan's Kyan's a millennial. Everyone. That was that unfair. Strange, so you know that. So... Question, would a conference like this mm -hmm. be as popular or what it is exactly if it wasn't taking place in a social media world? Um, I think that that's a, that's a tough question to answer because it started for social media and social media marketing. Again, it means in, it's about inbound marketing and content marketing. But I do think that it's grown to something that is kind of a cultural event in and of itself. It's like, for sure. Know, it's like pre-festival culture. Um, you know, we could have had a Boston Calling, but Boston Calling existed in the context of all of these festivals going on around the country, and now we have this thing that has its own, you know, life. So I think that outside of the marketing side of things, I mean, we've always had different types of conferences and things that talk to the creators of businesses. Yeah. It's just happening in a digital context. It does have a different. It has a whole generally different vibe and a different mm -hmm. feel than like your standard conference. Oh yeah, 
Um, and I think a lot of that is the digital social component of it. Oh, yeah. Visually, it looks different on its website. Mm-hmm. It's bright. It's interesting. It it's looks, fun. It looks beautiful. And it more is, importantly, it's, a lot of fun. it's interactive. Whereas most conferences you go to, you're probably just sitting in, at round tables or at uh, lectures. There's some of that, but there's lots of different things that you can do to interact with new products, with people, with uh, there's networking events and movies and other things. There's you like can performances watch. going on. Performances. And stuff like that too, right? yeah. yeah, it's very interactive and smart. It's very shareable. So yeah, it's, very it's lots of things that you can share on social media, Aesthetically which is why pleasing. it's the number one trending topic <laughs> currently in Boston, if I'm not mistaken. So it and is, it has yeah, been yeah. every day that people have been here because that's what they encourage you to do. So, well, have fun, learn lots of things, guys, and report back to us. Definitely. Yeah. Got to keep teaching us. Yep. We're going to come back with all the latest tea. <laughs> <laughs> And that's going to do it for this week's edition of 321 Go. Our program is recorded in Studio 10A, just off the historic Tip O'Neill Room at our building in the heart of Government Center, Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks for listening. Up next, an interview with my great friend, comedian Jimmy Tingle, who's bringing his Humor for Humanity show to Provincetown on September 19th, an important day, that's the day before my, my birthday, to raise funds for Provincetown 400. It will be a night to remember, I promise. So listen up and get your tickets now. I'm Ann Murphy, Senior Vice President for O'Neill & Associates. We're pleased to have with us today Jimmy Tingle, comedian, commentator, and founder of Humor for Humanity. Welcome to OA On Air, Jimmy. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're excited. We're going to be talking to Jimmy in a few minutes about his appearance coming up in Provincetown, September 19th at Town Hall. It's a fundraiser for Provincetown 400. And in 2020, it's a commemoration of the Mayflower Pilgrims' first landing in the New World. And yes, that happened in Provincetown. A little bit more about that later. But we want to hear from you, Jimmy, about your Humor for Humanity program and how you integrate that into your shows. Sure. First of all, thank you so much for having me. Congratulations to you and O'Neill and Associates. You guys do such great work, and Tommy's been such a big supporter over the years, as have you. So I always love coming in here, and I always love working with you guys. So thanks so much for having me. So Humor for Humanity came about because I went back to the school uh, in my 50s. Uh, I went back to the Kennedy School, and I have to say the great thing about going back to school in your 50s, you get the student ID and the senior discount. So <laughs> all I one. love that. Right. So, but I was thinking while I was there, I really didn't want to switch careers, but how could I use entertainment for purposes beyond just entertainment? So I came up with the idea of Humor for Humanity, which is basically using my shows, using my skills as an MC, an auctioneer, or a performer to raise spirits, funds, and awareness for nonprofit organizations and worthy causes and, and people. And so I just started to because for years I had been doing a series of one-offs. I was always getting asked to, hey, can you do a fundraiser for this organization or that organization, or can you emcee something, or have you ever run an auction? And over the years, I just developed those skills. I said, I want to formalize this mm-hmm. into uh, its own organization. So it's, has, uh, it just has some formalization and an institutional purpose. And, it's, and it's, that's how I use it. Well, it's know. really amazing. I have seen you uh, at work at, at these shows and working with nonprofits. It's amazing the response that you get because you do have such great experience, but you're able to infuse it also with humor. And I think that's what people love to come to come and see you for because you have this intelligent way of uh, looking at things and current events and kind of putting it in perspective of what are we doing in the world. Now, what are you using for current events? I know it's everything's politically charged. It's hard to be politically correct and not offend people, but are you using 
current events in oh, your yeah. shows. I use it in a general sense. I have less and less am I doing, unless it's a particular, unless I'm at a Democratic fundraiser, for example, where that's what they're there for. But when, generally speaking, when I work with the, with the general public in my newest show, 2020 Vision, I'm t- telling the story of why I ran for office. I ran for office in 2018, and I thought I could I could help make a difference. And um, I that's one of the reasons that I, you know, I got into comedy. Comedy is a, a low level attempt to try to make a difference. It's like you know you're you're just trying to make people laugh. You're trying to make points. And political satire is like that. It's not an official capacity of holding office. But when I ran for office, that was like more of a, all right, I really want to try to do something. And one of the most profound experiences I had was during the 1980s when I was having trouble with alcohol and trying to quit. And I lost a few friends to it, and I was trying to quit drinking. And I started calling places, detoxes and rehabs and treatment centers and hospitals to get help. And I would get the runaround. There's no beds. There's long lines. Call back next week. You don't have insurance. I called the Cambridge City Hospital, and they had a program there called Cahill 3. And I said to the man who answered the phone, this is December 1987, I said, I really need help. And without missing a beat, this man said, you called the right place. And I went into that hospital. I stayed seven days through Christmas 1987. I got out. I moved to New York City. I focused on stand-up comedy and recovery. That's all I did for a year. A year later to the week, I went on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. The other guest that night was Bob Hope. And from that experience, from that experience, I took away a couple of things. Number one, I believe in God, and I believe in the power of government to change people's lives. Everything I have in my life, and I mean everything, my wife, my son, my career, my relationship with people like yourself and the, just the general public, everything's directly attributable to that man's response when I reached out for help during the winter of 1987. And I was running for lieutenant governor at the height of the opioid crisis and the substance abuse mm-hmm. crisis in our city, in our state, in our country, in large measure to hopefully ensure that when anybody in the state of Massachusetts picks up a phone and reaches out for help, the answer on the other end always will be, you call the right place. So that's largely why, why I ran for office, and that obviously isn't funny, but it's, it just shows the underlying uh, passion that I have around certain things. And mm-hmm. you know, most comedians talk about what they're passionate about, and that's one of the things I was passionate about, recovery, and that's why I got into the, I got into the race, and that's why I tried to create this organization called Humor for Humanity, so you can actually try to affect social change. So like the thing we're doing down in Provincetown, that's going to be a way to use the skills as a performer and an auctioneer and um, and hopefully a, a person that can help draw people to the event to make people laugh, make them feel better, raise spirits, funds, and awareness, and to raise some money and help commemorate the 400th anniversary of the pilgrims arriving here in the, in the New World, and Provincetown <laughs> particularly. Well, I think that you're probably one of the few people who actually knows, a few comedians, that the Pilgrims did land in Provincetown first, and we love that about you. Yes. And that's why you're going to be there uh, giving your you know, with the humor for humanity. But you're, you're really funny. I know I've seen this bit before, and you have done it before, and your bit about the Mayflower Pilgrims, it just cracks me up. You make fun of the Pilgrims and the way they dress. Okay, tell me about those buckles, and how did you get onto well, that? I mean... First of all, they were in, 
they were amazing. They're in, they're in England. They're persecuted in England for their Puritan beliefs. They left England, went to Holland. They're persecuted in Holland for their Puritan beliefs. One night they have a meeting. They say, we're persecuted in England. We're persecuted in Holland. Where in this world can we go to practice our religion freely? And one of them says, how about the Cape? And the other ones are looking at him, the Cape? Could we get a place? And they're looking at each other going, it's the off season. And it's 1620. So a hundred pilgrims got in this little tiny boat, the Mayflower. They set sail for the New World. They end up in Provincetown Bay in the winter of 1620. And even in 1620, you couldn't get a place for a hundred people in Provincetown. It was a very popular destination spot. (laughs) (laughs) And anyway, it was tough for them. And they had buckles on their shoes and buckles on their belts and buckles on their hats. Let's face it, Anne, the pilgrims (laughs) were a buckled up people. As a matter of fact, they were the originators of the seatbelt law. Where are they going now, Jonathan? I'm going to Salem to hang a witch. Well, buckle up. (laughs) Well, this is, uh, you know, I'm sure anybody who hears this little snippet will be thrilled to hear it in person when you're in Provincetown, uh, in Provincetown Town Hall on September 19th. Because when you hear, when you get, Jimmy, you're just so wonderful. And it's just really, really great. And people around here, I think, appreciate your humor and your political satire as well, because it's intelligent and it's funny, and you know, I, and I just think it's, I, I just think it's, a, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a great show. Well, it's going to be a lot of fun. And you asked me like what things I'm talking about. Now we got the sharks. Oh right? yes, right. The sharks. <laughs> I was down in the horrible shark attack last year, and it's, it's horrible. And now everybody's freaked out about going in the water, myself included. Now there's big billboards and the beaches uh, down in Wellfleet. Big billboard with a picture of a great white shark. Ah. And then under it, it says, welcome. <laughs> that is certainly an interesting welcome sign. Great, great white sharks live in these waters. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy myself. How am I going to enjoy myself worrying about a great white shark biting off my short white leg? It says, sharks feed on seals. Avoid seals in the water. If you resemble a seal, avoid the water. Is a lot that you can do with that. And in terms yeah, of the overall, the overall issue in terms of social and political uh, points, you know, we've lost one person to shark bite, right? Uh, tragically, of course, uh, in eighty-six years, one person on the Cape. We lose twenty to thirty thousand people a year to gun violence in this country. We should have billboards at the airport, at the customs, when people from other countries come through customs, warning them about us. Welcome to the United States. We're a great country. There are 350 million people in America. There are 391 million guns. Enjoy yourself. Right. It's just so true. And that's the yeah, that's the and you can pull that out and it'll be funny and the show is going to be awesome. I mean, I know that you love the Outer Cape because you yeah. you know, you spend a lot of time there and in Provincetown in particular, you know, you've been there a lot and what does it mean to you regarding like it's really a place where freedom and democracy is celebrated every day? Absolutely. It's a great melting pot. Uh, you have everything, um, all people from all walks of life, and it's a very liberating place to work on stage. I love it because the audiences are very open-minded. They love the politics. They, they can go left-wing, right-wing, whatever. They're open to whatever, um, gay, straight, black, white, Arab, Jew, Gentile, and they just come and they laugh, and they're just uh, really well-informed as well. I find the audience is very well informed in P-Town and in the, low, uh, the Outer Cape in general. Wellfleet and Truro have performed there many times over the years. I love WOMR. I 
perform on that station all the time mm -hmm. and guest many, many times. And of course with Ron Robin mm -hmm. and all mm -hmm. the, the Cape channels, uh, just it's a great community. And I've always been, I've been going down there every summer since 94 when I first started working down there, developing one man shows. Uh, you could not ask for a more well-informed uh, mm -hmm. audiences, audiences are really. And just I remember Wellfleet Harbor Actors Theater. I remember yes. seeing you there years ago. Yeah, there and they and, just yeah. love to work. Uh, they just love to come out and they're willing to be challenged and they can and they're also engaged. They're mm -hmm. trying to make the society better uh, across the board. That that's my experience with P Town and and Wellfleet Troll, the whole area down there. Well, it's going to be a great event. September nineteenth. We love September in, on the Cape especially out of Cape. Everybody, you got to get your tickets to see Jimmy Tingle in person for, human, for Humanity for Provincetown 400. And you can get tickets on the website, provincetown400.org. Thank you, Jimmy, and we'll see you in P-Town. My pleasure. Can I give you the, 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 the uh, message, yes. the, the mission statement of Humor for Humanity? Absolutely. Humor for Humanity, more than entertainment, raising spirits, funds, and awareness for nonprofits, charities, and social causes. Our mission is your mission. Humor for humanity. Humor in helping, humor in healing, humor and hope. Ha, ha, ha. Up next, Two Minutes with Tom. Hi, Tom. Cayenne, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. Two Minutes with Tom. NFL it's usually something more like four and a half minutes with Tom, but mm -hmm. uh, I like sitting here talking to you. I like sitting here talking to you, too. Great. Thanks for visiting. Is it the football season? It is. Starts tonight. It is. It's Thursday, so it starts tonight. Starts tonight. And then... Thursday night football, and it's Chicago with Green Bay. Yes, and then Big Sunday. Everybody who's been bored... Sunday night. Sunday well, night. Sunday day. Sunday but Sunday, day. Sunday yep. night for Sunday us. Sunday all day, that's right. 820, Patriots are playing the Steelers... Thoughts. It's You're a football fan. I, I, I love football. I love the Patriots. And I'm a great fan. And I, I go to Gillette and, or I watch it on television religiously. Um, you know, I just love the game and always have played it uh, in, in Park League and uh, really enjoyed it. I was a quarterback, I was a halfback, and I was a fullback. I learned so much about you in yeah. these conversations. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't much of, of anything, but but you know. <laughs> but you had heart you and gumption. I couldn't, I couldn't really play dead, you know. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, I love the game, and everybody in the neighborhood played it every single fall day uh, of the season. It was great. Really? Yeah. Huh. The fans, tidbits. though, the fans are perhaps these fans, these Boston fans. Yes. Are probably the most hated fans in America for all sports, not just the Pats. Yes. Who win every other year? Which I feel as though I we all assumed qualitatively however we now have quantitative data to back that up but we do uh we do there was a <laughs> whdh had a story this week apparently insight pest solutions i don't know why did a survey on the most hated fans of sports teams and boston we did not perform well or new england in general we really? did not perform well really New England Patriots fans are the most despised in the NFL. Bruins fans are the most despised within the NHL. Really? Red Sox fans are the most are the second most despised in baseball. Who, who's the most despised in baseball? Yankees. Okay, thank God. 
and so Celtics. Least, it must be a legitimate poll. Yes, of course. <laughs> All I can tell you is anywhere you are in the world, if there's a, a Patriots game coming on television and people in that place know that you're from Boston cheering for the Patriots. They don't like you. They don't like you. Automatically, they don't like you. They yes. don't even know you, but they don't like you. Same thing with the Red Sox, same thing with the Bruins and the Celtics when they're mm-hmm. winning. Yes. And it's so I should stress too that hey, this even the revolution. Yeah. I don't mean, when they're kicking the ball around. <laughs> so the survey um, looked at fans. So it's not that they hate the teams, that they hate the, <laughs> they hate the fans. Yeah. And I was at Fenway Park last weekend for a Zach Brown concert. Make which no mistake is, about it. They hate the teams. Well, they hate the teams too, but this survey looked at fans. I was at Fenway for a Zach Brown concert, and for absolutely no reason, the Yankees suck chant broke out twice. And I was like, this is why people hate us. Because right now, I hate us. Really? This is so obnoxious. This was during the Zach Brown concert? Yes, country music concert. No, I know it was Zach Brown, but the the chant overtook his music? No, it was like in a break. It was in a lull. Okay. But nonetheless, it happened twice. They had nothing else to do. They thought it was funny. Yeah. And to me, and people people might hate tweet me at this, but that's okay. To me, the only legitimate time you can chant Yankees suck is when the Red Sox are playing the Yankees. I love this kind of conversation because it <laughs> takes us off politics, it takes us off President Trump, it takes us off bad weather, and it's 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 a little levity. It's cool, but it is the hundredth hundredth anniversary of the NFL. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. The one hundredth anniversary. This is the hundredth year the NFL has been playing. And go Patriots. Thanks, Kyan. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. That's it for this week's episode of OA on Air. Now, don't forget to subscribe on whatever your favorite listening platform may be. You can also check us out on our own O'Neill & Associates website. Talk to you next week.